Hey, John, this is Tim Nelson here, straight from the sauna at the YMCA. <laughs> is that where you were, at the YMCA? Yeah. If you're going to have to deal with sweaty people, a podcast is better than to actually see them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for December 2023. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined once again by the candy in my stocking, the present under my tree, and the snow on my Christmas morning, Mr. Tim Nelson. Good to see you, Tim. That is so creepy. <laughs> no, it was creepy. You. As I said it, it sounded creepy. I'm sorry. It was supposed to be endearing. I feel creepily endeared to you. <laughs> just just disregard. Scratch from the record. Nope, it's already recorded. What can you do? It's all right. We're just going to go with it. We're not... I feel secure, you know, enough to let you say things like that and not feel like I'm threatened. I feel okay. Good. Thank you. John, you're important to me, too. <laughs> yeah, see, that did not sound creepy. That's probably the way to go. Just, yeah. All right. Hey. You know what? It's December, and song on the radio keeps telling us it's the most wonderful time of the year, Tim. Is it the most wonderful time of the year? How's December treating you? It's all right, man. It's all right. Just doing all the typical stuff, waiting through the Hallmark, but I won't discuss that since we have maligned Hallmark movies over and over and over again. We did. I think on our last December podcast, we went on a big Hallmark rant, and I was it your wife that likes them or something? No, it's everyone's. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Do you guys got decorations going? We do. We have Christmas tree. The big uh, thing is colored lights, white lights, real tree, fake tree. We went with the fake tree a while back, and I, I love the smell of a real tree, but yeah. the fire danger of the fake tree is what I prefer for not burning a house down. For sure. I love yeah. the smell of a real tree. There is something about it, but yeah, that fire hazard's a real thing, especially like as it sits there on and on and dies in your living room. It's not good. It's true. I watched, uh, well, I was actually watching a Christmas movie. Okay. Because of this, Max has all these old movies, and there's one that's about a doll that comes alive. And it's like from the 40s. It's very creepy. I think it's Czech. I'm not sure. But in any case, there's a doll that comes alive. It's like stop motion, kind of early, pretty cool stop motion. And they have a Christmas tree in it, right? Because it's Christmas morning or whatever. Sure. And they have candles on a real tree. And the candles like burning down. It's just terrifying. Oh gosh, yeah, sounds I know. awful. So, oh, I forget that. Like that's how it used to be. Is you put candles on your tree, right? Because there were no Christmas lights. There's no yeah, Christmas lights. There's in this yeah Victorian Christmas. It's all like try not to burn the house down. Right. Right. Wow. But anyway, yeah, scary, scary stuff. Yeah, don't put candles in your Christmas tree. Pro tip. That's not a good idea. Well, speaking of Christmas movies, I did want to talk about them because tis the season. And of course, we've covered this in the past. We've done pretty much every version of it you can. But I did think of one thing I don't think I've ever asked. All right. So, you know, go back to our past episodes if you want to know our favorite Christmas movies and what we would consider our essentials. But what I'm going to ask you, Tim, is what do you think is the best first Christmas movie. So you're, you've decorated the house. You're sitting down with eggnog, m ms in the candy bowl. What do you pop on to start the season? Oh, my gosh. That is a great question, John. Yeah. You start the season with... You know what I started the season with? Tell me. Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me? I've never seen it, ever. Yeah. When is, what is so that movie? Describe it's it. It's Judy Garland. You know, like the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy? Yep. It's Judy Garland, and it's with a bunch of other people. And it's the story of a family 
in the, I guess, Edwardian, I guess. So it's like 1900-whatever, and there's a World's Fair that's coming, and they're, they're threatened to have the family kind of get moved from St. Louis to New York, and they're like, we just want to stay in St. Louis. And then anyway, but it's just a bunch of little kind of vignettes. I think it's based on a book. Huh. But yeah, so I, I would recommend it. You could watch it. It's from the 40s. It's kind of like, I think it's 45 maybe, so it's like one of your first... Not quite post-war movies. Did you watch it with your whole fam? Did they get into it? We did it on a movie night, yeah, on a Sunday okay. night. Yeah, everybody likes it, even the kids, because they're singing, and there's little... There, it has generations, all the way to grandpa, all the way down to a little kid named Tootie. <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. There you go. Tim picked Meet Me in St. Louis to start off the Christmas season with the whole fam. So there you go. That's your pick. I'm going to go with a more contemporary, traditional example. My kids, because I asked them this, their response was Elf. That's how they think the holiday season should start. And I get it. You know, it's Will Ferrell. You got kind of like, it's not too serious yet. You know, you want to save kind of the more Muppets Christmas Carol, It's Wonderful Life stuff for later. So like, it's just a nice, fun way to start. I can see it. I could also see a case for like Die Hard. You know, you want to kind of like do a little bit of a non-traditional <laughs> explosive start to the season. But like not a family movie. But not a family movie. You exactly. Can't do the, you can even do the best line in that one. You be yay right? I mean, you can't. You not can't do well it. with the 10-year-old. Yeah. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. If it was me, yeah, and I didn't have kids, maybe Die Hard. But I think Elf is a perfectly fine family choice. Either that or Home Alone. I was debating between the two. They went with Elf. So I think those are mm. those are good ways to start the season. I do like Home Alone quite a bit. I'm a little bit, like, I think burned over. I'm, like, I'm just, I've, I've watched it so many times. My kids will fast forward to where they, like, basically... Um, physically abuse the adults and right the, uh, which the is yeah they, they love that stuff they're like pink in the head i should try that on dad i'm like no it's a very violent film like we're basically just watching this movie about terrible things happening to people and then at the end the adults uh the the robbers dude they're they're gonna like kill that kid like if that they're if that dude with the shovel coming in what would they have done to him i don't know they would kill him they, they were like they were like him. they're like let's uh escalate we're not the wet bandits we're gonna murder now yeah they're gonna bite off his fingers and do horrible things yeah i mean kevin is trying to kill them too <laughs> he is. i love how your kids just fast forward to the good stuff just let's can we get to the violence already enough we don't Gosh. care about this airport scene whatever <laughs> there are some great memes about home alone uh-huh. out there like what did the dad do that he could afford oh, the know. home alone mansion and nine tickets to paris on christmas totally and then uh, <laughs> it is just seen as normal that's just a normal dad yeah and then they show the actor in the sopranos because i guess he's in the sopranos the dad is and oh he's really since past but yeah so then they show him with tony soprano and we're like oh yeah <laughs> You know what the meme I heard about the house or uh, that my wife ordered me was you know this house cost like $200,000 back then and now it's worth like millions. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine owning a house and like basically having people go past your house constantly all Christmas? It'd be That's awful. The one. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tim. Well, there you go. Those are your Christmas picks. Pick one of those and start off the season if you haven't already. But this is also not just Christmas movie season. It is Oscar movie season our favorite time of the year when just great movies keep coming out one after another and so we're actually here to talk about one today because one popped out on netflix tim we did not even have to go out to the theater to see the movie we're going to be talking about today because an oscar pedigree film that is on multiple top 10 lists 
streaming on Netflix right now, and you can watch it. So literally, you could stop this podcast right now and go watch an Oscar movie. And in fact, if you have not seen the movie we're going to be talking about today, which is May-December, we recommend you do pause this show and go watch it, and then come talk about it with us. Give him a hall pass, John. You can go ahead and... Will you give you a hall pass, say John and Tim said it was okay... Yep. To stop listening and then go out and watch the movie. Yeah, it's on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, there might be a political reason or something. We, we don't know why you don't. But, you know, mm-hmm. get your uncle's account, log in, and go watch this movie. It's pretty exactly. simple. I don't know if I'd call this a popcorn movie. Uh, not a popcorn movie. No. And would you watch it with the kids? Is it a Christmas movie, John? No. No, no definitely not. No, this is not a kid's film. As always, uh, disclaimer, do your own research on the content. We're not here to help you with that. Uh, you're going to have to do that for yourself. But we do recommend, if you're up for it, that you watch it. And yeah, if you have to pay the full like 12 bucks for one month, it's still saving a ton of money from uh, going out to the theater and getting your popcorn and your icy. So it's worth it. Yeah, you, it is true. So, and I don't think this is one that requires huge format. No, no, totally. This is a Netflix fired on in the afternoon on your laptop kind of movie. And yeah, I will forgive you for telling people to watch movies on laptops. I'll forgive well, that one. One time, well, one time. The reason I said that is I actually did that for this movie. Like I just, I was on my bed. I had a couple hours to spare and I just enjoyed this film and it was so nice. I'm like watching this this really good movie uh, in bed with a little drink to the side. And it was like, why don't I do this more often? I like this. It was nice. It was your alone time. It was my alone time. Yeah, it was great. What you need to do, John, is we're going to give you a pass to go back and watch this movie again <laughs> <laughs> on a reasonable format screen. I know. Okay? I should have watched on my TV. But, but right. I will say that my MacBook does have very vibrant colors. So it's not the worst place to watch a film. Okay, all right. At least it's not like Napoleon or something. That's true. You watching Napoleon like on a phone or on a, a watch. Phone. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow. Yeah, so we normally talk about our theater experience, but like we don't really have one this time. But I kind of do because we were originally going to watch another movie. It was going to be The Holdovers. It was a Christmas movie that came out. Alexander Payne, who did Election and Sideways and a bunch of those movies. He came out with a new movie called The Holdovers and it's got Paul Giamatti. And so we were going to do that. And I went and I dutifully watched this film that I myself said we should watch and Tim agreed. And so I was going to, I went and I, we were going to go watch it. So I took my kid, we went to the theater and this is my theater story, Tim, since in you don't have one i'll go ahead and take the time so we go to the theater and this is the one this is the ridge and this is the one that's next to zafiro's pizza pretty good pizza thin crust like they got it going on and they're like connected these are you know the 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 zafiro's is on the menu blah blah blah. so we go there and i'm thinking from the moment i wake up i'm thinking pizza man we're gonna get pizza in the theater they're gonna bring it to our seat we're gonna have a pizza thing it's gonna be great so we get to the pizza place they do not deliver to your seat no no they give you a pager and so i go into the theater and I've got this, like, you know, like an Applebee's sort of it'll light up sort of thing. Well, uh, that worries me a bit, right? Now, we get a, have a little bit of time, but not a lot. But I'm hoping, okay, maybe it'll be done in 20 minutes, and then we'll start the movie and everything. No. The previews go. The movie started. The pager has not gone off. Then I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's good. I can, you know, like, see what the characters are all about and then go get the pizza in the lobby. Still... 45 minutes into the movie, it still hasn't gone off. I realize we're in serious trouble. I have to leave this film and go figure out the pizza. They have been trying to page me the entire time. Apparently, the pager's not working, of course. And so I bring back this pizza, and then we have to fumble around in the dark in the middle of the movie. 
to eat the pizza. It was kind of an awful experience. The pizza was good, though, I will say. So anyway, I missed five minutes of the movie we were going to watch. And then after watching it, I was like, it's okay. It's a good movie. I would recommend it. It's maybe a B, but we can do better, doggone it. This is Oscar season. And I texted Tim, and we pivoted. We pivoted, which is what I should have done with the pizza when I realized they weren't going to be able to deliver it. You were the sacrificial seat. John, because I didn't have to uh, you didn't have to go. go see the movie. I was yeah. just like, okay, well, I was going to see it, John, but I yeah. don't have to now. It was kind of nice, because I was like, oh, this is going to be money in the midday. I know. And, then- and it was only playing at random times, because it was kind of an indie release, so I was feeling bad on your end with that, so I'm glad we did this. So you say to be anything you wanted to say about the quality of it, because... It has good reviews. It's good. Very good reviews. I might even give it a B plus. Like, is a really good performance from Paul Giamatti. He's just like this very curmudgeon professor at this academy, and he has to like watch over the small group of kids who don't have anywhere to go for Christmas. And there's one kid in particular that he kind of gets stuck babysitting. They hate each other, but then, of course, in the Christmas spirit, they form an understanding and realize, recognize each other's humanity. I just wanted a little bit more pathos in the end is my big critique of it i feel like they set up the character so well but i wanted a little bit more emotion in the end it sort of like became a little bit forgettable but bb plus definitely watch it the reviews are great and maybe you'll think of it better than i did anyway okay we pivoted and now we are here to talk about may december which is on netflix it's an oscar movie it's going to be up for a ton of awards and we're ready to discuss so Here we go. I'm just going to jump right into it, Tim. Let's talk about the plot of this film. So what's interesting about this movie or what's a little bit hard to talk about it is, is they reveal the plot to you very gradually. I think you said it was almost like a detective film. Like you're kind of piecing together as you go. Like why, who are these people? Why are we supposed to, what are we even like doing here? You know, and you really don't know until I would say maybe like a half hour, 40 minutes in exactly what's like the backstory to all to everything that's going on. So, all right, so give me yeah. give me a sec. Give me a sec here. So you didn't know what this was based on, right? Not at all. So I did. I did. Oh, you knew already. Okay. Well, I already like I looked at the description. I'm like, oh, I know this story. This is like one of the more famous stories of the 90s. Wait, this uh, this is a true story. Are you serious, dude? I'm glad we're starting here <laughs> because this is so embarrassing. You don't have to be embarrassed. You weren't alive for it, and and we try to. We try to come in cold. Like oh, that's yeah. one of the things that we do. So we try to. Come, I didn't come in cold because I read it and it's, it's loosely based on. I see. And I already knew that story. Okay. So this is based on a real story. I mean, they may say it's not, but everyone kind of agrees that it is. Gotcha. Because they never. Yeah, they don't mention that at all in like the advertisements or anything. You know, based on a true story. So I just thought they were making it up. But that's interesting to know that this actually happened. Okay, good to know. So there was a real backstory to this that actually occurred in the '90s, like when I was in high school. Okay, and when but you were a wee a wee lad in the nineties. I was well, at least part of the nineties, right? But this was this was like every news outlet. This they were covering this. So good, good to know. And we're going to discuss exactly what it's about. So if you are like me and you like going into movies completely cold, again, pause this podcast and go watch the movie. But so what basically this is about is you've got this woman named Gracie played by Julianne Moore who had an affair. She cheated on her husband and her family with dot, 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 a seventh grader named Uh. Joe. 
played Gross. by Charles Melton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Loosen the collar. Ooh. But when we meet them, this was all in the past, right? So Joe now is in his early 30s or something like that. Is that what you gathered? That he's like 30 Yeah, he's in his 30s. Yeah. And she's like and, 50 or something. Right. So this all happened a long time ago, but it happened. And so Gracie had this illicit affair and went to jail for it and had a baby with Joe in jail. And it was all over the tabloids. And it was like this big thing because they continued to be in love while she was in prison. And when they got when she got out, they continued to continue their marriage. And they, you know, have a supposedly wonderful, happy relationship, even though it started out in a very illegal bizarre way so that was the big story and now when we catch up to them in the present a movie star in this world by the name of elizabeth barry who is not a real person right i don't recognize elizabeth barry so natalie portman plays a movie star who is coming to make a movie about their life about gracie about what happened and it's set approximately like 2015 i think mm-hmm. yep okay and so she comes in and she is going to shadow kind of Gracie, kind of find out how she ticks. You know what actors do. They come, they want to like get the, yeah, get in their head so that they can perform in a more realistic way. So she's hanging out at the house with them, going to parties and stuff and trying to really get inside of both Gracie and Joe. So that's the movie. That's the heart of it. And then it's just sort of like, it's definitely sensitive subject matter for sure. But I will say, I don't think the movie's exploitative about that you know, that piece of it, we're not going back and like showing the, those things, but it's definitely a plot that leaves the door open for some very provocative questions. And I think there are a lot of themes that are worthy of discussion that I'm really excited to talk about with you, but that's the gist of it. Did I leave anything out? Is there what we good? I think that's correct. Yeah. So yeah. And then as far as terminology, like we call, I think they would say an affair. I kind of look at it as like a crime, but that's a just, crime. That's, oh, like, totally. that's me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to downplay that. Yeah, it's a big deal. But I think, like, I realized I had a hard time having language for this, Mm -hmm. which means it it is like there's tension involved in the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I I think that's good. Like, even if my language is getting challenged by the film and the event that the film is based on, I think that that probably is a good place, like you said, a good place to start for like discussion, critical thinking, everything, like just being challenged. Yeah. That's what I love about this movie is that like, and and you recognize it right away. There's just, you're dealing with art here and this is what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you a little uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you like go, I don't know what's, you know? And so we have a lot to talk about. So first got to talk about some acting, Tim, because there is some terrific performances in this film and they are basically a lock for nominations. Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman are going to be nominated for Oscars. You can mark that on your calendar right here, right now. It's going to happen. So let's talk about Julianne Moore first. She played the lead character, Gracie, the one who has this illicit relationship. Now, Tim, you texted me when you were watching this and you said she was terrifying. I'm interested what struck you about her character that made you say that. I think it's because she's like subtly controlling mm-hmm. and sometimes less than subtle. And then that she's a hunter. Like she's, she's on the hunt throughout this movie. Uh-huh. And then she is always wants to be every character in the whole movie. She wants to be their mother, <laughs> which is true. like terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> and then her acting uh-huh. is so good. And then she will give you little glimpses into who she actually is. And when she does it, like her body language and her tone and everything is just, it's just, 
scarier than any scary movie. <laughs> She's complex. Like, uh, I mean, be- totally. Because, like, on the surface, you know, when we first meet her, she seems so, like, together and so just has this aura of calm and peace about everything. And then you find out what happened and you're sort of like, what? There's, like, you definitely sense very quickly that there's a disconnect in her mind. Like, She's done these things that she doesn't fully acknowledge in herself almost, and it's strange. So she's, yeah, and then she has this peace and calm, but then like you said, she'll have these private moments where she's not together at all, and there's some massive problems there. So she's very complex. And wants to be in control all the time. Wants to be in control, yeah. And we'll pick venues where she can be in control. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the whole movie, she's trying to have control over everyone. So how can I be in control of A, B, C, and D? Even Joe comes in the bed with her. He's like smelly from the cook-off or something. And it becomes this whole thing about like, you know, take a shower. And he, or he's like, should I take a shower? And she's like, I wish you had taken a shower. And it's just like, yeah, there's this weird element of like manipulation, I think, at work in her relationships. But it's it's hard to distinguish at first. Yeah, she wants to control every aspect from, like, how you bake a cake to, like... I mean, it's just, like, yeah, where she's, like, hovering over everyone, controlling everything. But in a very, like, blight, peaceful way, almost. It's weird. It's like everyone is a kindergartner and she's the teacher. Yes! That's good. Yeah, and so, including the Natalie Portman characters also, but she's very, like, wary that Portman's going to see something she doesn't want her to see. And when she slips and shows Portman things that she doesn't want her to see... It is eerie. I just can't handle it. Oh, mm-hmm. grosses me out, man. But let's just take a step and appreciate Julianne more as an actress. You know, we always talk about movie stars, and I think we get a little male-centric when we talk about them because, like, we're always like Tom oh. Cruise, Brad Pitt, Tom Hanks. But, like, come on. I mean, here's a woman who is in her 60s still killing it with these performances. And she is one of the rare actors who can toggle between very commercial films and indie art films, right? This is, she's appeared in Jurassic Park 2 and Hannibal and The Hunger Games and like your big budget, whatever. But she's also, of course- And your big Lebowski. Yeah, big <laughs> Lebowski, Magnolia, Children of Men, right? I mean, so she oh, can I forgot totally... her in Magnolia. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. You're she's right. so good at Magnolia. That pharmacy scene uh, where she freaks out at the guy. Oh my gosh. All right, so, so I'm going to say something controversial right now. A lot of people aren't going to agree with me. I like her better than Meryl Streep. Wow. That is big. Yeah. I almost want to agree with you. In fact, I'll say something people will hate even more. I think Meryl Streep's a little bit overrated. A I little agree. bit overrated. I agree. Look, she's had her moments. She's had her performances, no question. Sophie's Choice, you know, I mean, you could go on and on, but like, at some point... Could you point, put Julianne Moore in any of those roles and she would be successful? Yeah. Sophie's oh, Choice yeah. might be a little different. There's something about Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice that is like the perfect role for her. Yeah. But I think that you could put Julianne Moore in a bunch of other movies, like Doubt, or and I think she would be fine in the same mm-hmm. roles that Meryl's in. Agreed. But I, I, I do. I agree. I think she's... I think... I would just say I think she's top tier. I don't think there's any... I don't have any debate about her being, you know, at least in the top five actresses that I can think of. Don't you think? No, totally. Yeah. Any that I can think of, I think she's in the top tier. She's been nominated for five Oscars. Five. Boogie Nights, 
End of the Affair, The Hours, Far From Heaven, and Still Alice is what she won an Oscar for, a movie about a woman who gets dementia, and you just, she's, you know, deal with her losing her mind in real time. It's just an incredible performance. So she's great, man. She's very intense. So sometimes it's hard. I think her intensity is sometimes hard to watch for long periods of time because those are the characters that she's been very selective in her roles. I mean, she really plays good film. Like there's no, doesn't seem to be much compromise. She finds good material and yeah, she's really brings this emotional intensity that honestly is sometimes hard to watch. Definitely. Yeah. She was even Sarah Palin in Game Change. That was a TV miniseries. So she's done it all. I did not know that. I know. I'm sure she'd be great. Let's talk about Natalie Portman because Tim, I actually found Natalie Portman's character to be more scary than Gracie. So I think, and what's interesting about them is I think they're both a little bit predatorial and manipulative in different ways. And so like with Natalie Portman's Elizabeth, I think this is a woman who is very powerful and she knows it and she is very good at using her power in every room that she's in, but in a subtle way. And I think that she just subtly crosses boundaries and does things that are not good, but just does it anyway. I don't know. I found her a little bit, uh, you know, there's the last scene of the movie. She's holding a snake. I found her a little snake-like in this, and I thought she was a little scary. Yeah, I, I liked her all right. I think Julianne Moore did, had a better performance. Do I think the there Natalie Portman's character is terrifying? I agree. Also, that's what I'm I saying. Agree with yeah, that. she was good. I don't know. Sometimes I don't. You know, she's one like what for Black Swan or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. She's been up a few times, and she won for Black Swan. She's won. That was her only Oscar. She's been nominated a total of three times, and she's been in film since she was a little kid. Oh, I know. Since the um. That one French movie. The shooter. The, it wasn't the, sh- the assassin. What's it or called? Some, I know. The Professional. Leon the Professional. The Professional. He's got a beanie yeah. on and circle glasses. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that one. She's the kid in that one. Yep. He's like an assassin and she's like following him around or something. That was her remember. first role. I hadn't seen that in a while. She's been doing this a long time. But yeah, I think she's another great actress who also can slip in and out of the commercial films and indie films because, I mean, she's Queen Amidala in Star Wars. She's Jane in Thor. So people accept her in those roles, but she can also bring it when it comes to the indies too. I mean, I loved her in Closer. Totally love that movie, by the way. I end up watching that about once every other year or something. I think it's very extreme in the subject matter, but like love that film. I like that. Anyway. And then my favorite role of hers is Garden State. I think she's, it's, it's, I, it's criminal. You're that she a Garden State junkie. I love, I love Garden State. I think I, I just saw it at the right time. It was like, I was in college. It was like really spoke to me and she's just so, she's just like perfect, pure innocence in that movie. And she changes all the characters just by being a beautiful person. You don't see that a lot. And hmm. I just think she's magical in that film. But anyway, She's a good actress, but in this character, mm-hmm. I think she's terrifying. And I just, the way that she sort of just slips in and kind of like, you know, she, she does these things. The, the way I see it is, and we'll get into this a little bit with themes too, but like the way I see it is that Julianne Moore's character is more like obviously bad. Like you should not have relationships with children. But then Natalie Portman's character, Elizabeth, does things that are also not good, but they're acceptable. You know, she even has that line at one point, this is what adults do. I think there's a lot of things that she thinks adults do that are not good, even though they're not quote unquote illegal, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 
And then finally, we'll talk about Charles Melton as Joe. This is kind of the newcomer to the group, just getting started. Apparently, he has a big hit called Riverdale, which I've not seen. I'm sure people out there love it. It's a big show. But he's only 32, and that's he doesn't have much to his name inside of that. So what struck you about him, Tim, as Joe, Charles Melton? Oh, he's just he just played such a nurturing character in the film. Hmm. I also think he did a good job of playing like somebody who's like a had delayed adolescence. Like he hadn't developed how he sh- like in a normal way. It was robbed. Like the adolescence was robbed from him basically. Yeah. Right. And so like he was, I felt like he was out of place all the time. So it's like, he's like the kid's dad and he loves them, but he looks just like his kid. I mean, not just physically like his kids, but he's so young. I know. He's got like a high school a kid graduating high school and he's like, wow, when did this guy graduate high school? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the whole high school graduation thing is really interesting. You remember when we, we reviewed, oh, I forgot a link later film. And then we talked about mm-hmm. days and confused. Yep. There's this idea of like, there's these rites of passage where you go from childhood to adulthood and graduation would be one in that film. And I think in this film, they're saying, oh, we all are going to celebrate childhood to adulthood through graduation. Right. But like he, that's not, he became basically like had an adult, you know, hurt him when he was a young, very young kid and kind of robbed him from being a child or an adolescent. So it's this weird thing. And then the butterflies all play into all this too. Yeah, totally agree with you. Like, and just the, the, here he is trying to give a normal, you know, childhood to his children that he himself was not able to participate in. And because of what happened to him, he can't really give a normal thing to his children because he's trying to do this thing with his graduation but what's going on in the background his kids have the stigma of their relationship and you've got this actress that's going to be playing you know his wife basically just kind of hanging around the graduation and stuff so even in this kind of second chance to offer normality to his kids he can't do that either so it's kind of tragic Yeah, it's interesting because like he didn't do so for instance, like in one scene, his son wants to smoke a joint on the roof. And apparently this guy smokes joints all the time, right? Yeah, of course. So dad, but dad's like, I've never tried this before. So it's like he never the whole idea of experimenting and smoking a joint or whatever when you're an adolescent or when you're a college student, that's when that would have occurred. Wow. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course you haven't because you're like, you know, having a baby when you are at that age. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he missed. So he's like trying to almost have like a, an experience of adolescence, but it's with his child. So it's very odd and it strikes us super weird. Did that strike you weird? Yeah, definitely. Right. Because he's like the dad, right? He's supposed to be the one who's like been there, done that years ago. And he's literally never done it because like you said, he's just, all of that was kind of taken from him. Yeah. And also who smokes a joint with their dad? I mean, (laughs) like as a young person, like that's so weird. So like, I mean, I get the idea like, okay, it's just like, Hey, you want to try it dad? Okay. Like, that's just like, who's, I mean, I know some folks have had that experience, to me that like I think it was designed that scene is designed to make us uncomfortable. Yep. To make us uncomfortable. It'd be like this seems abnormal. So that the person in the role of dad is actually the more innocent person, which mm-hmm. is like versus like they don't have the life experience that the person of the kid even has. Yeah. Such a good point. But he's also connected to his kids. 
And it's a great, that scene too, it's a great scene because we see, you know, of course he takes pot for the first time and then becomes very emotional and we see, yeah, just this pure love that comes pouring out in that moment for his kid. It's beautiful. That's the scene that's going to get him a nomination if he is. I don't think, I personally would be a little against him getting a nomination. I don't think it's as strong as the other two, but if it happens, it's going to be for that scene because it's pretty powerful stuff. He has to play flat Mm -hmm. because he's basically has to play like he's been suppressed like emotionally yeah and so he has to play everything flat so it's like a real i think it's a difficult thing to do it's not flashy and he does right uh-uh. and he has to play flat he has to play innocent and like the guy is like you know he's a 30 year old actor so yeah. he has to like make you believe that he doesn't have all this life experience I was reading an interview with him and he was talking about that rooftop scene and he actually said that he was trying too hard in it because he was like, he recognized like, this is my moment to like be an actor. I mean, think about it. Like he's mm-hmm. 32 and he's around these powerhouse women just like killing it every day on set. Right. And so, I mean, they're like the two of the best in business, man. No. And so he said, this is my moment. And he's just like started trying too hard. And that's when he realized, to your point, he actually had to get down off the roof, talk to the director because it wasn't working. And he realized in that moment that, no, this isn't about me having my moment. This has to be about the character. He was, you know, and like you said, he's confined by that character being more stable, emotionless, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What a scene. That was mm-hmm. that scene wasn't I don't think it was the best scene in the movie, but what a scene because mm-hmm. it's it just grabs you. It's like gets you there's an intimacy to it. So I think it's the parallel to the some of the other scenes. So the the intimacy, the idea that so we think of him as being like, Oh, well, oh, he uh I think initially in the nineties there was some element of like, Oh, this guy must be way above his you know, be beyond his years and he's like seducing the teacher or something, which is still like how she was viewing it. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, he's he's a seventh grader. He's a seventh grader that she went to jail for a reason. Yep. So I think that that this other scene shows his innocence, which I think is such what a wonderful like and you see his innocence throughout this. He's a nurturing, loving person. Mm-hmm. And he's looking to be able to express his emotions in a place that, that is not welcome. And he's still childlike in a lot of ways, yep. you know, because he didn't wasn't able to grow up properly. So there's this there's a childlike element, I think, in the sense of like he's trying to please these very powerful women. I'm thinking both in the case of his wife and also this Natalie Portman character who comes kind of screaming into town. You know, he's trying to like do the right thing by them, but he's sort of easily manipulated by them, too. Yeah, it's tough. So you see this like where people have been put into this like kind of suspended state. So like, doesn't she have a first son too? Like a son from the previous marriage. There's a and whole. Like, I think she has a few kids from a previous marriage. Right. Yeah. But they highlight this other son, the singer, like kind of rebel guy. Right. But he's like a he's like super adolescent. Like he can't. Like he's like a he's a big baby. Yeah. And so he has like all these outbursts at everybody. He's does all these things. He, he's just like constantly he's self absorbed. But it's, it's like he wasn't allowed to like go through development either. Yeah, totally. Everyone involved in this situation basically got paralyzed and their life went on a totally different path. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and you know, he's manipulative and lying, but he's also like, you got to wonder like, is he telling the truth too? So it's kind of like people were, their adolescence was stolen throughout the movie by different, different things. Yeah. And when it comes to the truth, who can we trust? You know, do we trust that kid or do we trust Gracie? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll never know. 
One technical detail I'm really interested in talking about is the music by Marcelo Zarvos, <laughs> because the music's yeah. really prominent in this movie. It's like almost it its own character, which is unusual, right? Because kind of the old adage for music with it comes to film is you're supposed to notice it in the sense of it kind of aiding your emotions, but you're not supposed to notice it, notice it. Well, in this movie, you notice it. It's very like heavy, deep notes, kind of alarming, kind of jarring. It keeps like just kind of waking you up from time to time. Like, here we go again. And so what did you think about that? It's such an interesting choice. It's like after school special music. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, Yes, that's it. It almost felt like amateur, but I think that they're they're doing it for a reason. Like it does sound like an after school special. I think I don't know. I'd have to maybe a listener knows, but it has like a quality that it's like not. It sounds like soap opera almost, or after school special, or like a TV movie. Maybe that's why, like a TV movie feel. Like they had a low budget. I was like, at first I was like, what the heck is this music doing in here? I know. It's not what you would expect at all. So maybe it makes it, I wonder like, is it drawing us into like a sense of adolescence too, you know, because like that would have been music that would have been similar to that, the era of when the actual events that this is based on took place. Like they would have after school specials that would have music like that. Well, and the made for TV movie that we see glimpses of, you know, like at that time probably was, had something similar. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so like, it's basically telling you how to feel in each, like, okay, you should feel dread here. You should feel, so it's like really overt cues Mm -hmm. versus like a symphony. That's like, you know, more, yeah, just subtle. So I, what did, what did you, do you know anything more about it? I don't know more about it. I don't know anything that. about it. No, I haven't done any research on it, but it's such a bold choice. I, I don't know. I'm still on the fence about whether it works because I feel like you're, it's so weird and jarring that I don't know. It's almost like a distraction, but at the same time, it's all, it's like this constant refrain that's being like, Hey, pay attention. Like, this is important. I don't know. You get kind of lost in the story and then you come back to that music and it's like, Oh I, yeah, I, I'm split on it. I, I could go either it way. Was with bold, it. it was a bold choice. Did it? Yeah. It, it's almost like you want to see if, like, what was the backup and what would the movie be like if we listened to, had a different soundtrack? Because I think that's important here. So many weird interactions in this movie that, yeah, it makes me wonder if, like, a different soundtrack would have, you would have a totally different movie. Yeah. So. We'll see. I don't know. Zarvos has not done many movies uh, as far as scoring them, so we'll see if he gets some Oscar buzz here. I don't know anything. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But one thing that I am unequivocal about is the writing. I think this is a great script. And surprisingly, mm-hmm. Sammy Birch, who wrote it, has not written any other feature films. This is his feature film debut. He's done some shorts. That's it. So, wow. Huh. Way to kill it on your first feature film writing job, Sammy. Um. I think the script is great. I think it's just one of those scripts that like the lines jump out at you. I've already mentioned one. This is what adults do. There's a, you know, I, I think of that last scene at the end where um, Natalie Portman's like talking about, you know, getting it more real, more real. There's like, the, and then you start to think about exactly what that means in the context. You're like what? So I just think there's a lot of lines like that that really stand out. I like this script. what do you think about the writing? I thought it was good. I might've taken it. Yeah. I think it was great. I think the acting class was like super creepy. 
So oh, basically, yeah. she's <laughs> describing how to how to do a sex scene and how sometimes she gets actually turned on. And she's it's a high school class. These are children, and then the teacher's face was classic. She's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah, so she's like, so, so she parallels like the Julianne Morse character. She parallels her so well. And then the idea of she's basically exploiting him too. Like you mentioned this earlier. Yeah. So they're both exploiting this character to get something from them. Now, what was so weird to me was that she actually wasn't doing all this for the film. No, I mean, ostensibly, she would tell you that she's flirting with Joe so she can get the get more in touch with the character. But like, yeah, go ahead. What, what do you think her real motivation is? Well, like my take was like she was doing this because it was she was on the hunt. Yeah, she likes the hunt. She's a predator. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's why she's scary. Yeah. And there's a scene and it's near the end, too, where Julianne Moore is actually hunting for food. Like she's oh, an accomplished yeah. hunter. Yeah. And so she's bird hunting with two dogs. She looks into the forest and what does she see? A fox. And a fox is hunting the birds too, right? They're both Mm -hmm. hunting the same prey. And then you're like, oh, Natalie Portman hunting the same prey. So they're basically preying on the innocent. So I I looked at that because you look at her performance at the very end scene and she draws nothing from the interactions, nothing And her. It's even canned and it's a crappy performance. It's canned. It's got like this snake, which is supposed to, I don't know if it's like, it's like garbagey symbolism or it's like phallic or whatever it would be. Uh And it has, it draws nothing from like what actually happened and what she learned happened in that back room. It's like all BS. And then she's like, oh, it felt so real. Which mm-hmm. it was like absolutely not real at all. <laughs> when she went into that room by herself, that was real. Yeah. Like in the actual film. But what she wanted was she was gleaning something else. It wasn't for the acting. She was a predator. She wanted something. And then we too want something, I think. Is we're mm-hmm. also predators. We're story predators too, aren't we? It's very meta. That last scene is just like, yeah, this movie within a movie. And we're also watching this movie. And it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> It's so yeah. canned. Like you're expecting there to be some result where she's like gets like method and she's like in the their mind and it's like this incredible result and then it's like petting the snake. Oh really? You're totally right. This While is? they zoom back, I know. Yeah, they're like, oh no, wait, wait. It was so real. I got to get back. I'm like, n- her best acting was occurring with that family, not on the screen. Super creepy. Super creepy. And then I love his character when he releases butterflies, which I think is so cool. Yeah. And basically what he's saying, hey, we're, they're monarchs. We're having an impact because we're going to release these monarchs. And he has to help them get to adulthood. Like Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing he does is he gets them to adulthood and lets them go. It's such a great metaphor. And it's subtle. It's not beating over the head with it, but it really works in the context of the story. Yeah. And they even do stuff like put him in similar, you know how they're in those zipper case things or whatever the, like they they wait till they um, cocoon up and then they have the butterflies that are in this like kind of air permeable zipper, like covering. But they actually mirror that with like some of the places that he's in that show like latticey oh. So like he's one of them. Nice. <laughs> Anyways, cool. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, that's and great. Then he's trying to connect with a person online too, right? He is. Yeah, that's what's interesting about him is that he we don't know who he's talking to, but he's definitely texting someone who is not his wife and, you know, even is potentially willing to cheat with her. So that's that's a whole other thread to this. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. And then here he is just kind of trapped between two predators, honestly, cuz I think you can make a case for Gracie being one too. Yeah, I think so. And then they get into some of his backstory with his father and his mother dying and all this other stuff and how he had to, you know, 
become something maybe earlier than he had to. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think the movie is, it's so disturbing and dark. It's, I would even put it, I would put it like in the horror movie category almost. Mm. Sure. I know you would think of it as just drama, but to me, it's like so, it's definitely a psychological movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psychological thriller. I don't think that's too far of a stretch. Yeah. Especially with the music. Yeah. But I find this movie like way scarier than like your, I think I said this already, but I feel it's way scarier than your run of the mill horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's grounded in real things that are just, it gets under your skin. Yeah. So good script, but of course it's nothing without a director at the helm. So Todd Haynes. He's directed 20 movies before this one. I think his most notable ones would be Far From Heaven, with also starring Julianne Moore. That's the one about, she's like a 50s housewife, and her husband, Dennis Quaid, is gay in a time where that was not acceptable, and she kind of goes on this journey of self-discovery. Okay. Beautiful film. There's I'm Not There. That was the Bob Dylan movie where like a bunch of different actors played him, kind of representing the different sides of Dylan and different phases of his huh. life. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's really good. Kate Blanchett plays like the 60s version of him with sunglasses where he's kind of like was, you know, like the classic Dylan where he's like, hey, man, it's going to be all right or something. You know, where he was like, you know, he's on drugs all the time in the 60s. That's like my favorite Dylan. But anyway, Kate Blanchett, she, I think she's I like nominated. highly medicated. <laughs> yeah, highly medicated. And then Carol, most recently, uh, Carol, which is Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett as well. That's like a lesbian romance. So I think those are his three most prestigious movies and what's interesting though is those movies far from heaven and carol especially are known for very lush cinematography and costumes and set pieces this was much more stripped down even some of the indoor scenes were kind of grainy and it was just more much more like grounded in in reality so i thought that was interesting but well anyway what did you think of uh todd haynes and what he brought as a director to this i i yeah, I thought it was good. I might disagree with you on some of the cinematography. I think it was sparse, but I think it... So maybe not as lush, like you said, but I, I think it was sparse, but it was very intentional. So like uh, fish tanks. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he... like I thought a lot of the scenes were mirrored in... like Basically, where there's all the symbolism in all these different scenes, and the cinematography helped accomplish. Like, even if it wasn't overt, it subconsciously we're like, he's like a fish. Oh, he's like a butterfly. Even like the cinematography in the house that looks out to like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, all those things are such good choices as far as the shots. So, like, there's these beautiful, I mean, when you see him, it's always these beautiful outdoor things. And then when you see the, generally when you see the two predators, indoor dark. So, yeah. so uh, it has, like, I think light and dark is really used well in the film, too. But that's Miss Unseen. That's what we talk about. You know, that's, like, that's a director who everything is intentional. And then even you just drawing out stuff that I didn't think about with her hunting scene. You know, I'm just, like, that's the thing. When you're dealing with a direct director, nothing is random. It's not just like, oh, Gracie's out hunting and there's a fox no it just costs too much money to be random <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like too logistically <laughs> difficult to be random they probably left stuff on the floor that is like expensive you know that we will never see yeah so everything's intentional that's good i like that and yeah all those scenes where we see joe kind of he's the one he's the butterfly or the caterpillar as it were so i think this film comes into this it gets into this area where it's not easy to watch in fact it's uncomfortable to watch and it's not a, it has no feel good quality at all. 
No, there really <laughs> isn't. There's no moments of like catharsis where you're like, ah, it's just tense and tight. It's awful in so many ways. Or like, even like when that her daughter, Nick Julianne Moore character, her daughter goes to try a dress on. And she's like, I would never be so bold to show my arms at your age. You're so confident. And what she's really saying is, I don't, I think your arms look terrible. Yep. And you're like, oh, you're the worst mom. Oh my gosh. And then what do we see immediately? She's got on a new dress with sleeves and that's the one she Oh, that chooses. looks great. Ooh. And then her dad sees her and she's like, he's like, her, her dad's reaction. It's like you're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's like such a different reaction. Yeah, yeah. So that was as feel good as it gets when he said that she was so beautiful. But like, there is not a lot of feel good. It's just a, like you're in a you're in this awful predatorial universe here, and you have a few kind of bastions of innocence that are be somehow able to maintain themselves mm-hmm. while these predators are trying to just you know steal and kill and. Yeah, it's Joe. It's He's awful. the heart and soul of the movie. Like you said, that line, you're so beautiful, or the scene on the rooftop, that's the only moment of lightness here. It's him. Yeah, that he's and he's a survivor. Like He's able to survive, thrive, and have beauty in the midst of all the predators. Let's talk about butterflies. So, recurring theme, we see it in the opening credits, we see it all throughout. Joe takes care of butterflies, and of course, what do we know about butterflies? Start out as a caterpillar, they've got mm-hmm. to go through this process in a cocoon, and then they eventually emerge as a butterfly. Now, I think it's a very interesting, subtle theme because, of course, that's exactly what's going on here. It's like you've got these stages, and these stages have to happen in order to get from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Joe, of course, was interrupted in his natural stage, and so were all of the families that we've been talking about. So that's a huge theme here. I mean, they say a guy's brain doesn't even fully develop until 25. I can't even imagine yeah. 13. 13. And, you know, you got this person who comes along who wants him to be a butterfly at 13, and he's still a caterpillar. Huge theme right there. Yeah, I totally agree. And the idea of, like, he creates safe places for something to mature, right? For these butterfly to mature. He's very concerned with the eggs. Okay, well, they laid them in a line. Okay, this is safe. Like, and, and that's where he bonds with the person that he's kind of interested in is, like, over butterflies. Yeah, so how do we keep these things that need to develop? How do we get them to the adult stage? And Gracie's constantly like annoyed by the butterflies. Did you pick up on that? She's always she like, does, get it she out calls of here. She calls them bugs. Get yeah. your bugs out of here. <laughs> get your bugs out of here. Oh my gosh. That is so layered right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think butterflies are a little, I don't know how subtle that is, but I, I, you, you could have picked something else, but I think butterflies were accessible for all of us. So that's yeah, good. We get it. Yeah, we, it helps us get it more. It does make him into a very nurturing character. And then the idea that the reason the butterflies are endangered or that they're having problems is that there's not enough safe spaces for them. Hmm. Like there's not enough places where they can lay eggs and become adults. It's like, whoa. I like how you said that he is constantly creating safe spaces because I think that's true for the butterflies. I also think it's true for Gracie and even... Uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, Natalie Portman's character, he, that's just like who he is. And I really relate to that, I think, because like when you grow up, you know, with some, with a little, little bit of childhood trauma and a very strong caretaker, like you learn to do that. You learn like my job is to keep the peace and make everyone else feel safe. And it's, mm. and sometimes you don't keep enough for yourself. Yeah. It's funny because she tries to seduce him more than one time, the Portman character. Right. And he sets boundaries like for that over and over again. And then finally she does seduce him. He basically says, well, let's go outside. Let's do, he's like trying to keep all these boundaries. And then she, but she keeps trying to, you know, 
she keeps trying to seduce him. Like she, it's like, like as, as her kind of predatory thing, like she gets off on prey on, pr- totally. on preying on him. She's so amoral, it's amoral. It's like, it's kind of, it's creepy, man. She just doesn't have any shame. It's just like, this is what we do. This is what adults mm-hmm. do. It's not. Yeah. I was also struck by the idea that if something feels right, it must be right. You know, I think it's a dangerous idea. And so like, you know, obviously with Gracie and Joe, they felt like they were in love. What could be wrong with that? You know, society might think it's wrong, but we're in love. And then you got Natalie Portman's character who's having that amazing discussion with the the children at the, the high school. And she goes on this big, long, long thing about how like, you know, you're in a sex scene and on set and everybody's staring at you and it's awkward at first but then you go like, your bodies are rubbing together and you start to think to yourself like maybe this is real you know and stuff so i think there's this idea that like if something feels real maybe it is real or maybe it is right and that can be difficult when you take it to these conclusions that end up being devastating for everybody involved I think the idea of, am I going to pretend like I don't get pleasure from this? Am I going to act that? Or I'm going to be honest and say I do. Mm-hmm. She's not being, she's trying to be honest in her, like she's trying to get the truth and be honest, but then she actually isn't doing that to employ it in her craft. No, no. As the last scene demonstrates. So I guess it also, I guess another thought, maybe this is the same thing that you're saying would be, she seems to enjoy, it's like, she's like, well, this is a means to an end. But then that end never happens. Like, it's not a means to an end. She's enjoying this manipulative process. Like, that is the end of it. She's basically messing with people. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, she just enjoys it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then but comes in as like, I'm trying to understand. I want to have more understanding. But really, you're manipulating these folks for your own kicks. It's just like creepy. I don't know. It's creepy. And even that last scene, you know, if you take away the fact that it's kind of awful and it's like, oh, she's not even, like you said, not even bringing anything to it. She's This is not working. But like that last scene is crazy because like she talks about how like, so we basically do like three or four takes of this scene where they're reenacting what actually happened with Gracie and Joe where they like had sex in the back of a pet store. So she's reenacting this with a kid, actor, you know, with a snake in her head. And she's like, she keeps saying, like, she's trying to get it more real, more real. And then she asked for one more take from the director because it's like, it's really getting real now. And if you just step back from that and you think to yourself, okay, so she's trying to create real sexual chemistry with this kid, which is almost just as inappropriate as when it happened in real life. And then we're the viewer watching this. It's just so like, I think it's a perfect ending because it just really leaves you going, whoa. Yeah. And I might disagree on the, on like, was she really trying to create sexual chemistry with that kid? We may disagree on that. I might sure. say that that was intentionally canned. I'd okay. say this is so goofy. So should we take the whole movie, right? Where she's like trying she's like, I'm going to get in their heads. I'm going to learn all about them. I'm going to find out all these details. I'm taking close notes. And then it gets canned where she's petting his snake. I mean, like <laughs> that's so canned and ridiculous. That is like, that's not a complex performance at no, all. No. Like you're, you're, and then, oh, I need it. That almost was real. That fell almost real. I guess it does connect to what she was telling the students, but like, maybe you're right about that. I don't know. But I, I think that the key to me was like it was so fake mm-hmm. like it was it drew nothing from her time with the family mm-hmm. and honestly my biggest takeaway was that it's the children who always suffer most in all of this right i mean the actions that 
Gracie takes, not only, of course, Joe, as a child, he gets robbed of his childhood, but you think of all the other people that are affected, Gracie's family and their kids, never the same. Their mom basically just walked out on them. You think of Hmm. these other kids that Joe and her have, they have to carry for the rest of their life the stigma of how they were created, this story surrounding it. Now this movie coming out, it's always the kids that suffer and... I mean, I just think of like where the real life examples going on around in, in Gaza and stuff. It's just, it's always the kids, man. These adults are making decisions. It's what adults do. And kids are suffering every day for it. Yeah. But Joe's like, basically he's like, there's no butterfly habitat. So I'm going to make, I'm going to launch these kids any way I can. And he does. They look happy. Don't the kids look happy in this movie? They well, I yeah, I guess they might be hiding from their mother, but like when they're just with him, they they seem very happy. Yes, he's a legitimately good father, and they are mm-hmm. they have intimacy together. Yeah, he's doing the best he can in an impossible circumstance, and you're right, freeing the butterflies give, just yeah, like he's doing, and giving them what he what he didn't get. There, he's like he's giving that to them, even though he and he may be more or less he may not be capable of of doing the best he can. I mean, doing perfect, right? Nobody's capable of perfect. But he, it seems like he's doing the best he can with whatever the situation. Anyway, I really, I connected with him. I really connected to that character. And that's your catharsis. You know, that's what you're talking about. Like, I mean, it's hard. You have to work a little bit for it because it's, the movie just doesn't give it to you easy. But I think if you're looking for any silver lining, any sort of hope, it's Joe giving his kids what he didn't have and, you know, just taking care of them like those butterflies. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. All right, Tim, what are your final thoughts on May, December and your letter grade? Go ahead. It's not a Christmas movie. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, I thought it was well-crafted, jarring, difficult to watch. The level of craft here is so so high that you have to just be like, wow, that was well-made. So I give it an A. I think it's an A. I think the acting is what you would expect from this, the caliber of uh, actors that we have in the film. And I think it, it does like it's tension. And so if you don't want to watch them, if you want to watch Forrest Gump, go watch Forrest Gump. But, you know, like <laughs> yeah. with this, like where you have, oh, this, there's some resolution. OK, and this this doesn't have that. This no. is messy, but it's well-crafted, messy, and it's got tension. It's hard to watch, but it's really good, like really good. I agree. I was thinking as I see, you can just tell right from, from the get go that you're watching a movie that's on a a different caliber. And that's what I always get really jazzed up about at this time of the year, because you start watching these movies that are just like, Oh, after, you know, after all this year of like relatively good movies, like how many movies have we reviewed this year is like, yeah, it was pretty good. B B plus. But then you start watching these kind of movies and you're like, okay, this is, this is, we're on a different plane now. We're like, and, and that's exciting. And it is because great acting, the, the writing directing it's just all around great now i will the, so i think this is just me because i really like resolution i like having character threads kind of wrapped up in some sort of meaningful way so i really the one criticism i had and maybe it's just a personal criticism that isn't actually like valid is i wanted a little bit more from gracie in the end, Gracie and Joe, like they start, you know, their marriage starts like they start fighting and there's like legitimate problems there. And the movie never really like comes back to it, never gives you any sort of like closure to that. Like the last thing we see of Gracie is her at the graduation ceremony saying that bizarre line to Natalie Portman about how she's like very securely attached. And so people better watch out or something. And like, but uh, yeah. Oh no, she says something like, 
You got to watch out for insecure people. Yeah, because she's not, she says. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I you're like, not. are you not? Exactly. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, oh, okay. And then she denies the abuse that happened. That, that, that probably did happen. Happened. We don't know. Yeah. How do we know? Yeah. It's like you have to trust the person that never grew up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that was my only thing. I wish I could have had one or two more scenes with Gracie and Joe or just Gracie to feel like I kind of had a little bit of a resoluting note on her character. I'm going to give it an A minus. It's very close to an A, but that's what I'm going to land on. I just, I, I, it didn't feel as, when I see an A movie, I'm talking perfect. I'm talking like everything just wraps up in a way that feels like satisfying. It doesn't have to sat- be like satisfying in a hopeful way i just need some i need to feel like okay that's the end of that arc and i feel like there needed one more scene with gracie but giving it an a minus fantastic film it's going to be all over the oscars watch it as long as you don't mind being uncomfortable for two hours because it will definitely make you feel it's uncomfortable you'll feel worse after watching it (laughs) yes yes you will (laughs) unless you like good art that i think no matter even the most depressing art ever makes me feel good simply because it's just such a joy watching good art i will say that but you have to be of a certain mindset this guillotine was really well crafted (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh i I think this is part of my thing is like because this movie has like it is saying things, but they, I think sometimes these movies come off as a little nihilistic. Sure. Like the predators keep praying and they're just going to keep succeeding. Yeah. Which might, maybe that's not nihilistic. Maybe that just reflects reality. But very bold, very bold to have female characters do it. We didn't get into any of that in the podcast here, but, but bold to have a female character who is a predator. Yeah. Very true. And how the, it's the male character that's being taken advantage of. That is rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. The movie is May, December. It is playing at a screen very near you because it's on Netflix. So go watch the movie. If any of this sounded interesting, and I'm sure there's a bunch of you who are like, no, I don't need to see that. And that's fine. (laughs) That is totally fine. (laughs) We don't judge you. But if you do see it and you want to talk to us about it, please write us at podcast at cinemafaith.com. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. What I was thinking, Tim, what's so cool is that the last two years, I think, Every single notable director has made a movie and it has come out in the last two years. Like, it's kind of crazy. We've got new ones from Spielberg, Scorsese, Chazelle, Inuritu, Christopher Nolan, Todd Haynes, like everyone. Everyone's like, here you go. Here's my movie. So that's nice. Now, one movie that is coming out that's getting a ton of buzz, even more than this one, is one that probably will be another nihilistic journey and it'll probably have some extreme content and whatever, but I kind of really want to see it because it's like, it's just, it's, everyone's talking about it. It's called Poor Things and it is stars Emma Stone and it's the new movie by Yorgos Lanthimos who made The Lobster, who you you loved. I like it. (laughs) I like that guy. He's quirky. He's quirky. And this movie is going to be very quirky. And I don't really know what to expect because I try not to read too much of it. But I think we should watch that. It comes out at the end of this month. So I think the first showtimes locally for me are like December 21st. So I think we should watch it. There's a new Lanthimos film coming. It's going to be playing one time, one day (laughs) in a theater near you. Hopefully, with the Oscar buzz that comes with it, it'll it'll get enough of a run. But make a note of that. I think that's what we should do. If you're okay with it, Tim. If you're okay for another very dark... Well, I don't know how dark it's Look, been. I really don't know. Of, I, in front of you and the listeners, I will pledge to see this film. Okay. There you go. Yes. Poor things. So, if you out there are okay, you, you do your research, 
I think there's going to be some content issues in this one if you're sensitive. So I'm not giving you a full blanket. Uh, you know, we're adults here. But if you are of the of the mindset and you want to see it with us, we're going to talk about that one in January because everyone else is talking about it and I really want to see it. All right, Tim. Thank you for coming and joining with us yet another month. I so love Oscar season and I love that we can do this together. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.